if you had to get sponsored by one drink, what would it be? Would it be gin and tonic or something else? That's so tough because I love mojitos. So if it was rum, then I could have like, I'd just have to pay for the extra bits and bobs, you know, like the, the mint leaves and the like soda water. I'm going to go with the Bacardi. Until about three weeks ago, it would have been gin, but they've just started selling White Claw in the UK. And wow. I am genuinely obsessed with it. And it's quite <laughs> in the UK. So like, that would be great. That would I can confirm this. <laughs> the seltzer craze has, has crossed the Atlantic. Yeah. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago, and only Chicago, once again. We're going to be talking soccer, we're going to be talking life, playing games, playing mind games. We got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Footy Fellas Pod, F-O-O-T-Y Fellas Pod. We've got a very special guests today with us in the pod. That's right, multiple people, Helen and Hannah from the NWSL Show. We chatted their podcast and social media channels having basically the best coverage for every second of the Challenge Cup that happened recently. We recapped the NWSL's tournament itself, and we also bantered about the best all-time England five-a-side team. They even officially announced their rebranding during our chat, so a lot happened. Definitely worth sticking around for. It's really interesting, and it's also the majority of today's episode. So, worth a listen, absolutely. Jones, we recorded that interview the night of a rainstorm, and it got pretty crazy, would you say? Oh, 100%. I was recording from my my uh, childhood, home, childhood home kitchen, where you have a giant window, you look out and you can see our backyard, and um, and right when the, like the, the peak of the storm was rolling in, in addition to the lights flickering on and off in my house, the internet went out. Um, and, uh, and, and from that moment on, I, I couldn't really participate in the, the recording as much. Um, but that was the least of my worries as outside my, my ginormous window, I could see our, our willow tree like bending over and branches from other yards and other blocks probably flying by. Um, and I, and I realized in that moment, this is without a doubt the strongest storm that I have witnessed, I can remember coming through the area. And lo and behold, hours later, days later, weeks later, um, it has it proven to be a pretty disastrous, I mean, trees uprooted all over the place. Rumors of an actual tornado touching down in Rogers Park, uh, it, is, it, was, it was wild. But I'll tell you this, Eli, it was nowhere near as, uh, as wild and fascinating as our interview with uh, the, well, formerly NWSL show um, duo. There were definitely sirens going off on my end while I was here, and they rightfully so kept asking if everything was okay, which added a (laughs) a fun element to the interview because it partially was and partially not because my lights are lights that you weren't here, but they kept flickering on and off, and every five to ten minutes I thought this is it we're gonna lose the whole interview 
power is going to go out, you know, I'm going to be stuck. Obviously, relative to everything, life is fine, but I was definitely nervous throughout the interview that we were going to lose it all. Yep. Yep. And we didn't. And thankfully, we still have the interview for all of you. So that's just another reason to listen that we persevered on this interview through the crazy weather going on. Uh, in case anyone was wondering, the storm, that type of storm that we had, it was called a derecho, which is, in simplest terms, a like land-hugging uh, hurricane. So that is theoretically what had, we'd gotten a weaker version to an extent relative to like Iowa got, what came through Chicago and the Midwest. Fun fact. That is a fun, it's a fun and a not so fun fact, but it's still informative. Yeah, are derechos under or overrated? <laughs> If you listen to last week's episode, you know we chatted about hurricanes, so no need to harp on that any further. There were a couple of interesting tidbits, just one I wanted to call out that was learning for me that was really interesting, which Helen gets into more in the, in the chat you're about to hear, but we were talking goalkeeping play in the Challenge Cup and talking about how strong it was and how that specific position has long been kind of debated and also poked fun at in the women's game, that the goalkeeper specifically, and that goalkeeper coaches only became a thing in the mainstream women's game at, you know, even serious clubs, but at a younger age or clubs that didn't have as much money pretty recently, four or five years ago. And so obviously, if you don't have these goalkeeper coaches until much more recently, you don't see that kind of trajectory and the level of play which you're starting to see now which makes sense because there are more goalkeeper coaches so i am stealing a bit of her thunder but that was super interesting to me i had never heard that information which i definitely should have come across sooner which is kind of sad but one of the many things that they both shed some light on her and hannah about the women's game and now we also have the women's champions league coming up as well quite soon so excited to watch some of that Totally, and and you know a fun fun if if you're not even uh, the most soccer savvy of listeners, um, they talk about how to grow a pod and maintain it, and um, and all of the the vast um, network that one can set up and and actually manage um, in order to have a successful successfully run account. Um, personally, that was that was also awesome. So yeah, a lot to a lot to take away from there. That was really interesting, and a lot of connections. We spoke to Mike Watts a couple weeks ago for the pod, and he talked about NWSL and USL growth, and they built on some of those pieces, gave new perspectives, and it was great to hear someone's take on the NWSL, who are fans from overseas, them being in in Britain, talking about the USL. It kind of feels in in certain ways like us talking about the EPL also very different because that's such a huge league that it is very talked about but you don't often get those perspectives it'd be like i was talking more about like the a league in australia or you know other smaller leagues in i'm trying to think of countries because everywhere i can think of the league there is huge to the people there japan the k league or south korea the j league i think literally it's called um so it was great to just get that additional perspective and we also had some fun movie references which seems like they're big movie people so appreciated that as well without further ado since we keep hyping it up we'll just get into it i guess take a listen guys very excited to chat today with helen and hannah 
who together make up the NWSL show. In addition to an entertaining podcast with interviews, banter, knowledge, they also have Twitter and Instagram feeds that feature thoughts, articles, and footy news. Most recently, they covered basically every second of the NWSL's Challenge Cup, which ran for a month from the end of June into July. Helen and Hannah, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having us. What an intro! (laughs) Yeah. What do you you think? I mean... We didn't. We did get a good intro on your show, but we felt we wanted to really blow it out here. I feel like I shouldn't say another word because I'll just ruin that beautiful introduction. Showing <laughs> <laughs> everyone how I actually know very little. <laughs> Never. No, we can attest. We've been listening to your podcast pretty avidly, and especially during the Challenge Cup. And you two know uh, a heck of a lot, or at least we learned a lot about the Challenge Cup. We definitely enjoyed speaking with you on the NWSL show as well back in early June. And obviously we did all right because you're willing to come chat with us. And we also didn't get roasted too hard for our five-a-side <laughs> USA team, which we appreciated. So thanks to all your followers. They were pretty nice. They were pretty nice. And we loved having you on as well. It was um, it was great to hear your take on the Challenge Cup as well. Um, and what a, a crazy month it was. I think, Helen, will you would you agree? It was wild. I'm still kind of recovering now, and it's been two weeks since <laughs> Houston Dash lifted the trophy. So, yeah, um, it was it was wild. <laughs> so talk to us about from the beginning, because you were all over the Challenge Cup from even before it started, all the way through the end, and even now, it's sticking with you two weeks afterwards. You know, you had blogs and graphics and Instagram posts and podcasts and interviews. So how did that opportunity actually come about? I think for Hannah and I, we'd like spoken loads uh, when we were doing our previous podcast, which was just kind of following the She Believes Cup and then going into kind of a bit of international chit chat. And then we wanted to cover the NWSL. And then obviously COVID happened. um, And it came from us kind of noticing that not many people were covering the tournament in detail. And I think one of the biggest problems we have in the women's football soccer community is accessibility. there isn't any quite frankly so when you look at like the men's champions league and there's a game happening you can see a minute by minute of what's going on um even if you're not watching on bt sport or sky or whatever you you watch your your soccer on you can stay up to date with every single minute on numerous websites and we wanted to make sure that accessibility was there to help with the kind of growth of the women's game, but also support the growth of the NWSL. Hannah, would you agree? Is that kind of a fair analysis of how this came about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like one of the the real opportunities we saw, particularly as as Brits, of as uh, fans of the Challenge Cup, was that actually so many eyes were on the NWSL because it was one of the first sporting events globally to come back, and particularly in America. So it had this massive new audience to tap into and we just wanted to, I guess, like shed the best light on the the league as well and, and show how great it is. Yeah. On top of that, so just to add to it, it was like we were hearing from our followers and from other followers that people wanted to be involved in something. They just didn't really know what that something was. Like there were keen NWSL fans in the UK and in America um, who wanted to be involved. And actually, even in Mexico, Brazil, Canada, like people were reaching out to us from all over who wanted wow. to be involved. They just didn't really know how. So we were like, why don't we create the platform that 
lets people express themselves and be really open to allowing anybody that wants to be involved to be involved. So we just kind of opened the door, didn't we, Han? We just did a like a Google form and we said, hey, if you want to be involved in in a project we've got going on around the NWSL, apply here. And then the next thing we had like 30 five applications like which is pretty insane when you think about it um and that included writers uh bloggers podcasters fellow podcasters but also the 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 background people the the editors the graphic designers um who were really really influential in kind of creating and developing the the product that we made weren't they hannah yeah, they, they were just phenomenal. Like, they are so much more talented than me, first off. I think it's well worth saying. Um, I genuinely thought we'd get, like, nobody replying to our form. So I was bowled over as well that people, like, I was like, oh, God, maybe I should start watching what I say. Like, there there are people outside my family that listen to this podcast. Not many, but some. <laughs> That's awesome. You guys pretty much built a little, you know, tight-knit community in, in a sense with all these people helping out and... And having this awesome forum and platform to to discuss all things NWSL, that's that's great. I I think that's really awesome. Um, and now, do you think that you guys are you still keeping in contact with these folks that that helped you out? What's so yeah. funny? You just said that, and it's like it's almost like we've pre-planned for you to say that so we can say <laughs> this. But I promise you, this was not a pre-planned thing. We were literally talking today with our sort of we called her our team leader she was one of the team leaders of the designers we had so many designers working on the project that were creating um content going out for every goal for every you know major moment in the tournament and we had them create like graphics of players that we thought would be influential during the tournament and um and she's actually just created our new logo for our new series which she sent us today <laughs> hannah plug away <laughs> let's hear it so wait hang on i'm gonna forget this because i'm absolutely terrible and i will call it the wrong thing um but we this is like breaking news right so our new show our new rebrand uh we're calling it the women's soccer show we're branching out so people are not rid of us just yet um but we are gonna have like a super awesome logo that jess has put together um but yeah i i feel like in answer to your question We've made some really wicked new friends. Like we've got a little group chat going. It's awesome. And um, they're fabulous people. That's, that's they're awesome. so behind yeah. it as well. They're so behind like women's football worldwide. And it's really mm-hmm. nice having um, allies that you can kind of like chat with, gossip with about, you know, transfers and things like that. They kind of get get it. Do you know what I mean? They, they get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, do you guys have a debut date? For the new show yeah good question hannah do we yeah. have a debut date for the new show and <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i feel like we said uh september so awesome. it's something is happening before the end of the month like now i've said it on air it's sorry helen oh god <laughs> always do this yeah but next month we will be back um after having taken a short break i suppose to catch up on sleep after the challenge cup uh, and we're so excited. We're going to involve everyone that's been involved in the kind of Challenge Cup process. Um, there were, in the end, there were like twenty-five consistent people that were like working with us at least once or twice a week on this project. So it was it like it was pretty intense. But 
moving forwards I think that quite a lot of them are going to stay on and work with us like either editing helping to do graphics and stuff and um and we've we've still got that kind of family vibe so it, it's really nice it's actually really enjoyable doing it joking aside I am really tired but it was really really enjoyable <laughs> it's a lot of late night games in England you I give you all the respect for staying up early morning hours to watch some of the big games during the cup 3 a.m tiring 3 a.m man oh Oh, god (laughs) (laughs) well now you can recharge and you've got this exciting show coming forward that's such a cool thing for the footy community as a whole and specifically for the women's soccer community and involving everyone else you spoke with what were some of your favorite parts of connecting with not only those people but also nwsl players during the tournament which is so cool on the podcast what was that experience like really great like i think as a particularly there's a couple of things as a fan when you can't be in a stadium it was always going to be really weird going into a tournament not being able to connect in the same way as you traditionally would so it was nice actually to just chat to the players and and kind of understand what life was like for them in a a completely new environment for them as well um and especially as a fan from like the other side of the world it was just really surreal at times I, I remember when we were chatting to Casey Murphy she was like yeah we've just been in training you know like this is what it's like in the bubble and I'm like oh this is very bizarre when we are a lot of miles away and we're kind of just watching from a distance um so I had great fun great great fun it was cool like like just kind of following on from what Hannah said it was unlike any kind of player interviews Hannah and I have done before mm-hmm. because of that factor it was kind of I was genuinely as a human being to another human being wanting to know how they were because yeah. it's such unprecedented times it was it was it was really nice I think the Casey interview stands out but also we spoke to Ella Massar who is um she actually scored the first goal for Houston Dash, would you believe it? So she is kind of an original, she's an ex-player, but she's like an original NWSL player. And um, she's heavily pregnant at the moment. She's um, due to have a baby with Peter Babbitt, who plays for, uh, she plays for, uh, am I right in saying Atletico Madrid, Hannah? Or is it Real Madrid? Real Madrid, yeah. So uh, it was really interesting talking to her about sort of life in the NWSL then and like what she perceives it to be like now and how far it's come. And it was just really enlightening, but also um, to talk to her about life in lockdown with a professional footballer as well. So those those interviews are really, from a fan level, really, really interesting. Um, I hope they came across that way too. Personally, we, um, you know, we're, we're starting to engage a little bit more with... Um you know, people that we, we too admire, uh, especially, in, and I really do mean this in all sincerity, especially talking with, with you two um, and seeing the progress that you guys have, have made with your, with your um, podcast. And it kind of feels like a podcast network really at this point. Um, is, ha- have, you guys, have you guys shifted um, how you approach interviews at all? You know, when you were interacting with a lot of these, you know, um, folk, uh, did you... Um, did you, was there any, you know, change in the way that perhaps you were a little more awestruck at the beginning and now you've kind of acclimated to it or, or is it still just as awe-inspiring to talk with NWSL players or even the footy fellows? <laughs> I'm so awestruck every time I speak to you guys. <laughs> I had to hype myself up in the bathroom before this. I just was like, 
like going, it's okay, Helen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> what she means is she was trying to sober herself up. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, it's been, um, it, like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say that it's, it feels the same as it did, like, back when we were, like, first doing interviews because, um, it it was ju- it wasn't a nice experience like the the first few interviews with players aren't nice experiences and like i don't think anybody finds them enjoyable because you're just nervous and you just want to say the right thing um and now they're enjoyable and i look forward to it i don't know about hannah but i actually like really look forward to it and and they're definitely more organic like hannah and i will discuss the what we kind of want to get from it so with Casey, we wanted to know what it was like in lockdown, and we wanted to congratulate her on her first ever NWSL appearance. Um, we wanted to kind of have those discussions, but there was no script. Whereas when I think back to like the first time I interviewed the England captain Steph Horton, I was like shaking, holding a piece of paper, because um, you just want to get it right. So I don't know, Hannah, do you feel the same in in that sense? Yeah, completely. Like I look back and. I cringe <laughs> maybe when I first started out. Um, but I think like it's, I think they are like really awe-inspiring people at the same time. Um, and actually they're just other humans, like connect with them on human levels and they're super interesting people. And I just enjoy chatting to to them. And I think, feel like it does feel like a conversation a lot of the time rather than uh, than interviews, which is awesome. Lovely. That's we lovely. Had- Totally. All, all you, all you realize. Oh, by Thanks. the way, uh, FYI, right. my power is like in and out. So if I dip any second, just know that that I'm gone. Jones, if you're talking, we we can't hear you. Well, now it looks like his his lifeline, his health wave on our Zencast <laughs> recording just got. He just someone just pulled the plug. <laughs> oh, no. I just I thought you just wanted me to continue talking about all the embarrassing interviews I did back in in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I have got plenty of them. Actually, the one kind of anecdotal thing and I know Hannah probably knows exactly what's coming is um and it doesn't involve a planned interview. I was actually on my honeymoon in Ibiza and I was in a nightclub and bumped into Lucy Bronze who is like I hope everybody wow. listening to this is the she came second in the Ballon d'Or she's in England like I would say she's gone down in history now as an England legend she plays she's one of the best players in the world probably ever but right now as well and um and I bumped into her in a club and I, I had to go over because you, you have to it's like you can't not she just was quietly getting on with her evening like nobody had spoken to her or gone over to her um and I just went over and then just stood there and didn't say anything. Like no words came out of my mouth. And it wow. was just the most horrendous, embarrassing experience. And since then, I've actually interviewed her on a professional level and just prayed she doesn't remember me from like the weird girl in the nightclub. <laughs> Even better if she did and had questions about that exact encounter. <laughs> She's not mentioned it yet, but hopefully um, it might come up in a jokey way maybe one day, but it was pretty hideous moment in my life. <laughs> well, just in case we lose you for real and it ends up being just Max Winner because my lights are also flickering and I'm seeing uh, a la Wizard of Oz, some random stuff is flying by the window. Oh my gosh. No, no joke. It's it's getting a bit crazy. So this, this interview is extra exciting now. I can feel the adrenaline going. Um, but in case we in case we lose you, Let's quickly get into the tournament itself, the Challenge Cup. We'll go a couple of, couple of questions, maybe 30 seconds each. 
can switch back and forth, get your quick thoughts on all of this because it was a very exciting tournament. It was a crazy tournament. First of all, we'll start with we'll start with Helen. We'll start with Helen. Helen, how do you feel about the Houston Dash winning it all? I think as a as a Portland Thorns fan, I was a bit gutted at the time, but looking back, it's the outcome you kind of want. They were the underdogs. I think they were third ranked from bottom to to win the um, tournament and everybody loves an underdog and they deserved it overall. I really think they deserved it, especially in the knockout stages. Um, they really came out the traps in those those final couple of games and in the final, they genuinely deserved it. Not sure it was a penalty, but they deserved it overall. Very fair. All right, Hannah, in your latest episode, you both talked about your pre-tournament picks, which was exciting to hear once the tournament had all wrapped up. And you had picked the Portland Thorns and NC Courage. Why do you think the tournament went so differently than you and many others expected? Oh, first of all, I'm so glad that you didn't address the fact of how terribly I did in that challenge. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I think it was just so unpredictable. I think being in the bubble, um, the even like the altitude maybe for a lot of the teams was something they weren't necessarily familiar with. The frequency of games, the injuries we saw throughout the tournament. Um, there were so many like variables that the, the clubs just couldn't predict. It's kind of wild. And I kind of loved it for that reason as well. It made it super special. That's a beautiful way of putting it. It did feel very special and a lot of great, you know, playground memes and just all the, <laughs> all the, yeah. all the juicy stuff that came along with it. All right, this next one... We can do both of you. Go Helen, then Hannah. Helen, who were your favorite players to watch during the tournament? And who was your favorite team to watch? You're allowed to say the Thorns, but it's okay if you want to go elsewhere as well. It wouldn't be the Thorns, <laughs> I'm afraid, which is pretty <laughs> I'm Genuinely, I'm shocked to say this, and I'm not saying this because I'm English, but Rachel Daly was my player of the tournament. I know she won player of the tournament, but I, I stand by that. Um, she... she with a captain's armband on, she's a different woman. Um, she's evidently a leader and she showed that both in her goal scoring ability, but also she was able to drop deep and she created a lot as well. Um, I think she got assists as well, didn't she, Hannah, if I recall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's she's a creator, but she she was also, you know, back defending at the other end as well. And and I know they won it, but Houston Dash were genuinely the most exciting team to watch throughout the tournament. Um, That Chicago game, which I think's kind of gone down as one of the games of the tournament, uh, it was it was unbelievable, end to end stuff. And and they kind of every game they went into, they they wanted it, and you could tell they really really wanted it. So for me, it, it's Houston Dash closely followed by Sky Blue as my um, as my two teams of the tournament, and Rachel Daly's my player of the tournament. Oh, love it. No surprise there with Rachel Daly, but that's okay. We'll take that. Um, my, I'm going to go a little bit differently. I'm going to go with Bella Bixby for the player I most enjoyed watching because I think it was so exciting to see players in this tournament shine that we just never expected to shine. And obviously she's really sadly um, suffered an injury, but I'm just so excited for... Like when she comes out of that and the recovery, I think she's got amazing potential. And actually, I'm really excited to look at the future with Bella Bixby. And then I think the team that I most enjoyed watching was the Washington Spirit. 
just because I don't normally enjoy watching them. And they yeah, I agree. Me. And I think they've got, again, great potential. So I'm like just thinking into the future. Maybe I'm just trying to wish 2020 away. And that's what, <laughs> what I'm trying to tell myself. But yeah, the, the spirit in Bella Bixby, I'll go with. Bixby was great to watch, just all of the goalkeeping. And I remember when we spoke to you, it was right after one of the Thorns early matches against the, mm-hmm. the Red Stars, I believe. And even in that game and throughout the tournament, the goalkeeping was really strong for picking one position that, that stood out during the tournament. What's really interesting about goalkeeping in the women's game is um, I think it's an area that's really mocked. Like I think mm-hmm. when you look across sort of the history or the landscape of women's football, it was the one area that was kind of left behind. And I don't know whether it's a common known fact, but uh, women's professional footballers at, at a goalkeeping level, a lot of them have never had a goalkeeping coach until the last sort of five years. So players that are now like in their 30s will have only had professional goalkeeping coaches from trained goalkeeping coaches over the last five years or so. And when you think about it, you look at the likes of Fabian Barthez, who played for Manchester United, and he was five foot nine, I believe. So very small for a for a goalkeeper. But he had like five coaches that helped him to utilise his um, ability to to jump out of net and to, um, to be almost a sweeper keeper. Um, same goes for sort of Manuel Neuer and players like that. And women's soccer players have just been given goalkeeping coaches. And guess what? When they get goalkeeper coaches, their ability gets better. It's shocking, really, when you actually think about it. Um, Give somebody a coach and they might actually improve their skills. So that was a massive highlight for me as well of the tournament. The goalkeeping was brilliant and evidently like improved from previous tournaments we've seen. That's so interesting. Yeah, I definitely didn't have that insight. What do you think the Challenge Cup tournament meant for the league it's obviously grown in popularity over the last five years at least and it had this great opportunity being on tv being basically the only main sport at least in the u.s that was back and on cbs and featured and had some record viewing numbers as well as well as a lot of activity online what do you think this challenge cup tournament meant for the league and means for the league moving forward in terms of its trajectory I, I genuinely don't think we can quantify like how massive it is for the league. And I think there are so many different um, factors that come into force there. You know, the, the timing with Lisa Baird coming into the league, like shout out to Lisa Baird because coming in as a league commissioner, like something crazy, like 10 days before sport and everything goes into lockdown is not an easy task, but she's just navigated it phenomenally. And actually, they've put on this incredible tournament. Um, when you look at announcements like Angel City, so the the Los Angeles team joining the league in 2022 and the number of celebrities that are behind that, I think people are watching the NWSL and people are engaging with it and people are wanting to buy merch. There's a demand for it to watch the game and to like invest in it from fans and celebrities and invest like club owners and that's massive that is so so exciting i think we need to make sure that we continue with like accessibility and ensuring we have accessibility i think it's super important and like i think the best example for me um in the uk when there's no sports on or when there's like a sort of lull over the summer in sports they always put netball um which is like i don't know whether you have it in america but it's like the it's like women's basketball kind of version where they don't bounce the ball and um 
and it's I always watch it and I get really into it because it's there and it's on and I love sport and like I think that there's this thing about women's football and that no one wants to watch women's football but I think that it improves with accessibility as well so the more that we invest in accessibility and the more we make it prominent in our news stories and we ensure that we're covering every tournament and every kick of the ball I think that that'll improve the standard and it'll also like improve the profitability of the league and ensure that players are getting a good salary as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you guys mentioned the Angel City FC team. I had recently heard about them. You know, they were in the news a few couple of weeks ago because mainly, you know, Serena Williams and like Natalie Portman were, were early investors or part of the investment group um, to get them sort of off the ground and, and off going. And I think that's, I think it's great. I think that's really cool. And, you know, uh, to your accessibility point, having those big names really helped drive, uh, you know, it drove articles. I mean, it, it got in, in front of my eyes, uh, just, just browsing online. And I think it got in front of millions of people's faces. So I think it, I think it is really great to see some, some more iconic figures in society uh, play, play a big role in, in promoting the, the sport for sure. Would you guys like to see, I mean, that even grow, like, you know, more actors, actresses, other, other very successful people hop on board or, or do you ever think there's a time where there's too much? Could there ever be too much, uh, you know, big names hopping into the mix? Yeah, I, th I think there's a fine line um, mm -hmm. between people who are in it for the right reason and people who genuinely want to grow and develop the game and the sport and have the best interests at heart. And then people who are perhaps jumping on a bandwagon mm -hmm. or who are just like, uh, I mean, it sounds crazy to even say this, doesn't it? But who are like, Oh, I've got some, I don't know. I've got a spare million dollars. Like let's just stick it in the women's game and see what happens. Like the stuff we dream of. Right. But yeah. um, I, I mean, as a women's football fan, I'm always going to be grateful for investment and media coverage, etc., yeah. But sometimes you just worry that the game can get, I don't know. Sounds like up. there's a World War Two siren yeah, going up say, in the background. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys are okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the world ending. Is that coming that from Chicago, cool? Eli? It's just part of the vibes. Even if it wasn't there, I'd add it in and post afterwards just to get the ambiance. Just really get everyone excited about the pod in case they were napping off while listening to us. Every movie I've watched about London during World War II, that is the noise. Like, <laughs> I think, are you selling, you're selling us in a movie now as well. In addition to White Claw adverts, you're saying the movie should start with us podcasting and then we look out the window or, or you guys are like, Eli, Eli, you still there? And then it cuts to me flying outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were chatting with, to build off of what Icy was just saying, and when you guys were talking about uh, accessibility, we were chatting with Mike Watts a couple weeks ago, who mm. broadcasted a decent number, if not most of the NWSL games during the tournament. He was saying, what if more teams played each other from different countries. So if teams in the NWSL were playing the Manchester City's women's team or other teams around the world, even in Australia, where some of the players go and play in the offseason, how exciting would that be and how good would that be for the women's game of football as a whole? I'm curious if either of you have 
thoughts on those teams playing each other cross country? I would love it. I think it would be epic. I know Hannah and yeah. I have discussed this on many occasions. I've always wondered why there hasn't been a bid for um, America. And it makes no sense in terms of like, in terms of the title of the league, but the European Champions League in, Euro- yep. in, in Europe, across Europe. There's no geographical reason anymore in 2020 why we couldn't involve the NWSL in that as like one of the top five, top six leagues in the world. Um, my concern for, for you guys or for the American League or as a super fan of the NWSL is that they've got to be really careful with this thing about we've got these superstars in our league and, you know, they're they're born and bred here and stuff because they're tied to the NWSL league, but over in England and in Europe now, and you've got to remember Real Madrid have now launched their team. Atletico Madrid are taking it seriously. Barcelona are taking it seriously. Leon take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. So these clubs over in Europe haven't got these salary caps. They haven't got these constraints that the NWSL has and they're, pay- they're paying players brilliant fees i'm talking the, the leon squad earn can earn up to 200,000 pounds a year like $250,000 a year to play football which is insane when you think about the women's game over in in the uk now sam kerr is on reportedly 300,000 a year is that right or she was bought in for 300,000 hannah yeah i think it's 300,000 like it's a crazy figure which i just never thought i would ever hear in um, in women's football but by making it more financially competitive and salaries financially competitive and creating these big news stories, I mean, today and alone, Mewis is coming to Manchester City. I bet she's on at least 60K, 60,000. Mm-hmm. I, be- I, I bet they've given a really brilliant salary to bring her over here. And I think that the NWSL just has to be really careful with this thing of we have homegrown talent because, quite frankly, unless the temptation... Is like remains in the NWSL, um, and unless they kind of start up in their game in terms of salary and competitiveness, then people will start going over to to Europe with the sort of powerhouse Real Madrids and Barcelonas coming through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a great topic talking about salary caps. I think also this season was the first season I've really seen Hannah. You'll be able to confirm in the English WSL, the women's top league. Um, It's the first season I've seen people fighting out for second and third so that they can get into the Women's Champions League. And I really feel like it's adding that kudos to the Women's Champions League. Like people want to compete for that trophy now. And in the past, it's basically gone to Lyon every year. But Lyon played last night against PSG and they drew nil-nil and then went to penalties. So people are closing that gap between Leon, who have been a front runner for many years now, they're closing that gap and other people are fighting out for, you know, second place in a league so that they can get that Champions League spot. And I just think that that's worth noting as the Champions League gets more popular and people want to win that even more and it starts to be like five or six horse race to win that trophy. Will those American players who are competitive to their very core want to go, actually, I'm playing in the NWSL earning like, I don't know, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. I could be over playing for Manchester United. I could be over playing for Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, um, Wolfsburg. And I could be challenging for now what is the ultimate trophy in women's world football. Do you see where I'm coming from on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's going to be, it's, it's, 
the NWSL, you know, really should take it seriously. And, and I hope they are. You, you would imagine that they're <laughs> coming up with some ideas to not have this massive exodus of talent leave the league. In addition to that great Challenge Cup breakdown and thoughts on, you know, world football and what an exciting point it is right now for the women's game and how more teams are entering all across the world. We want to focus on one country in particular, and that is England, one you are both pretty familiar with. <laughs> because you asked us to bring our U.S. joint all-time five-a-side team, and we got very excited about that and debated that on the NWSL show, we had to ask you to bring your England all-time joint five-a-side team here, two footy fellas. So I'll let you kick it off, but we want you to walk us through your five-a-side team. What does it look like? Do you know what? This is so unfair, guys, because we're asking you to pick the American five-a-side team. We are a footballing nation, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This is code for me and Hannah have been arguing all day, by the way. (laughs) Do you think it was easier for us? Do you think it was too easy for us is what you're saying? I think that you had like maybe five or six, for instance, strikers to look at. And, you know, you you were like, oh, we're between these people and these people. We have like five or six female strikers and five or six male strikers. When you actually, well, we'll go through it. But when you actually really put it into perspective, it's really tough. I think the goalkeeping was probably the easiest one, right, Hannah? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. Did, did we settle who's, on Who's one? in goal? Who's in goal? Yeah, we settled. Okay, so... It was between two, first of all, for context. Um, It was between David Seaman, the man with the absolutely delightful moustache and ponytail, like gorgeous, an inspiration for many women for (laughs) the entire 20th century. Um, Sadly, he was just pipped to the post, though, by Gordon Banks, who... It may be a slightly more decorated, in fact, that he won the 1966 World Cup, which we still cling on to in England, (laughs) however many years later. (laughs) It was when we were, like, Brexiting and all of the the people were like, 1966, this would never have happened in 1966 when we won the World Cup. (laughs) Get over it, guys. I literally wasn't even born. Get over it. <laughs> uh, Gordon Banks is an England legend, and it's not just because he won the World Cup. He obviously, um, he he was he was known as a leader, and he's a, he's a real character. So I think that it was easy to put Gordon Banks in goal, right, Hannah? Yeah, like when you look at the amount of awards he won and the records he held, like phenomenal, phenomenal icon in that. When it came to defenders, we just wanted one defender because we're quite an attacking five-a-side team. So I was arguing for Lucy Bronze. <laughs> but she's Why am I laughing? <laughs> she's the best player in the world, guys. Come on. Um, we, we talked Rio Ferdinand, but actually, really, when you look at Rio Ferdinand and his career with England... He didn't actually have an amazing career and it was just, he was really unlucky because after 2008, when he was captain, um, John Terry got given it after that and then he missed the 2010 World Cup and then through injury and then he missed the Euros after that. So in terms of England, he's actually only played like I think two World Cups and he does quite a lot of interviews. I don't know if you guys have ever seen or whether it's actually something that that would be sort of shown over over there in, in the US, but 
he does quite a lot of interviews about his time with England and how they really struggled because the Rio Ferdinand or the class of the nineties and the noughties, they were, um, they all hated each other because it was like Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, and they were fighting it out at the time. And it was kind of Manchester United were the top team. And then they all had to come to England camp and be best friends. And he talks a lot about how he really struggled to like be sat at a table with Steven Gerrard. It was like, I hated him. <laughs> so um, it's, I think it's, I, I couldn't put John, I couldn't put John Terry or Rio Ferdinand at centre back because um, it, I think that, they, their club careers were incredible, but I don't think for England they were quite as incredible. And John Terry like had sex with those people's wives, and I'm not down with that. So, uh, <laughs> Hannah, Holy oh my god, <laughs> who do you pick, Hannah, as our defender? We picked uh, Manchester United women's manager Casey Stoney. So, like, Ooh. phenomenal again, absolute rock. You know, she's captained the England team. She's got 130 caps, which is crackers, like absolutely crazy. There are not that many players who can uh, who can claim that. Um, she got to the 2009 Euros final. Like the list really goes on. She was absolutely wicked. And it's so nice to see her doing well with Man United now as well. And she did it in a time when like we didn't have funding, where the women weren't paid. They were on part-time contracts. And Casey Stoney was like a, a real force to be reckoned with. She was a true leader. And I think it's obviously worth mentioning, but we imagine we just put the entire 1966 World Cup squad in there. But we were, we, Bobby Moore is, is a legend as well. Um, and he captained England to the World Cup. But I think Casey Stoney's like actual length and history with the England squad under the conditions that she was under, I think is more impressive. So Lucy Bronze makes the five aside bump into a club in Ibiza, but not the <laughs> not the official national team five aside. Look, she's, she's fair. She's let's fair. face it, Lucy Bronze probably won't listen to this. But if she does, <laughs> I'm just gonna say, Lucy, you were in my five aside, but Hannah and I nearly had a divorce today, a, a professional <laughs> divorce. So Casey Tony wins over you sorry I still love you okay <laughs> uh, moving on to midfield yeah how's the midfield shaping up Hannah is I think it's she mentions it in every single podcast and it's just like a weird thing that she has and <laughs> um, she mentions this one movie and of course it got mentioned today what movie is that Hannah um oh what could you possibly mean um no right I have just got this absolute obsession with Ben Dillard Beckham <laughs> and the best bit is I don't actually like David Beckham that much <laughs> just the film that's great but I feel like we can't talk about an England five-a-side without mentioning David Beckham and his absolutely iconic free kicks I think I vetoed him because he 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 is he was England captain. He's obviously like world renowned and he's got an incredible illustrious career. I'm not I would never suggest that he wasn't a world class player because he was and that's kind of not even debatable. But in 1998 and I don't know whether you guys remember um we had a really good stab at winning the World Cup and David Beckham, when he had that floppy blonde hair and he was so gorgeous, this was before I realized that men weren't my thing. I was like, oh, David Beckham and his floppy hair. 
Um, he kicked out an Argentina player during the World yeah. quarterfinal, got sent off, and then we ended up getting knocked out of the tournament. And in England, when I say he was an enemy, Hannah confirmed. Do you remember how bad it was? Like there were, I think he got death threats. Like it was intense. They were burning effigies of him, weren't wow. they? Wow, David Beckham. Wow. Yeah, hated. He was on the front page of every newspaper. He got us knocked out of the World Cup essentially because we had a real grasp on that game, and it was a stupid, petty moment. And he kicked the player with his um, studs up, lying on the ground. He like lashed out at him, and yeah, he got sent off. And everybody was furious, and the whole country turned against him, and he had to go into hiding. And then to to think after that, he's now like. You know, and he's got, you know, the Queen's knighted him and stuff. He's like a, <laughs> a he's an icon. He's got statues and things. Um, he he is a brilliant player, but I think he loses his spot in the England squad for 1998, where I think we had a real stab at winning. So for me, it's between it's between three people. And again, me and Hannah have had a bit of an argument about this, but it's between three people, and that's Farrah Williams, the most capped. England player of all time and she should be in the England squad right now it's only because we have a stupid manager that she's not um she's scored ridiculous goals from midfield position she is um a leader she is a brilliant human being she's got an incredible history you guys should read up about her if you don't know about her history she's got such an incredible she was homeless whilst playing for England she's mm-hmm. a what a woman and um and our, our second one was Frank Lampard for obvious reasons, I don't really have to go into detail. Um, Steven Gerrard, of course. And then the fourth one, which I think has to make the squad, second top goal scorer for England, uh, World Cup winner, Bobby Charlton. Sir Bobby Charlton. How offensive. Sir Bobby Charlton. Um, <laughs> he's He had a long-range shot on him. He was kind of the original David Beckham. So for me, Bobby Charlton definitely makes it. Hannah, who was our second? Who were we choosing as our second midfielder? I feel like we were choosing Farrah Williams and Bobby Charlton. Should we do it, Farrah? She's done it. Farrah? Yeah, she deserved. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. A strong combo. Strong. Yeah. Strong we've combination. Got a long range shot, and we've got intricacy from Farrah Williams. I think she was a she's a right playmaker. Forwards are so hard for England. Oh. Like the list is endless, and I I know that he can't be in the I know he can't be in the five aside team because he didn't do as much for England as he probably could have and he retired early but my main man Alan Shearer oh hello that is where I put my foot down I support Newcastle United so of course I'm gonna say Alan Shearer but Alan Shearer is not even close um Wayne Rooney is the top England scorer but for me he's not in my in my chosen like one or two if I was gonna in my top two it's not Wayne Rooney for me, Hannah. It, am I wrong? No, I would. I would absolutely second that, Hannah. You oh, came God. forward with one earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I can't believe you're saying this. I have to say it out loud because we're talking about them all time. <laughs> I hope it was Peter Crouch. It was Peter Crouch. Is it what was it Peter Crouch? Yeah. I want no to way. shout out Peter Crouch for his short-lived England career, but he scored every 99 minutes 
So he had, and he had a good celebration. I've been infiltrated. I have been listening to his podcast. Like that's my commute to work and back at the minute. And it's great. And this morning on the episode I was listening to, they were talking about the fact he scores goals every 99 minutes for England and how that uh, is like twice as good as Alan Shearer, who scores approximately every 180 minutes. Shut Alan. Up. Just in case you wondered. Shut so, up. I feel like I've been indoctrinated by Peter Crouch himself. So we we had an argument over two in the end. And I mm-hmm. think both deserve to have a massive shout out. One of them is um, England legend, top women's goal scorer, Kelly Smith. 46 goal for, goals for England, which is the record goal scorer. You've got to remember as well, she had a serious injury in the middle of her career and she had um, really bad mental health problems. And we've got to remember as well that this was during a time in the 90s and in the noughties where women were not paid to play football. Like the England women's team were not, they were playing against elite players like America and, and other countries which were taking it more seriously. And Kelly Smith was still dominating. And she actually left England when she was 14 years old, moved to the USA played through your college system um, and as a result and because your guys college system is so fantastic and your leagues are so fantastic and the level is so high she she became a legend really and she came back to play for Arsenal and then continued that through her career and I think you've got to shout Kelly Smith out because she is brilliant but we settled on Hannah would you like to reveal our star striker yeah, but first of all, can I just say, while you were given that really, really beautiful bio of Kelly Smith, when you were like, you know, she, she moved to America, she's going through the college system, all I could think is, um, wouldn't that have been a fantastic plot line for Bend It Like Beckham 2? I've got a problem. This is real. <laughs> oh, my God, you should go pitch it to David. Go and join him in Miami. Give him Pitch it to him. <laughs> um, yeah, in all seriousness, so our chosen striker, the success story we have gone with to lead us at the front is uh, the man from British Crisp Adverts <laughs> is Gary Lineker. <laughs> That's how most people in England will know him. So Gary Lineker, as well as having big ears and selling lots of crisps or chips, as you guys call them in America, uh, he had a, a wicked career for England. He had about 80 appearances, nearly 50 goals. Again, just like a a really solid player up front. And so we felt he can take it on his shoulders to um, to seal the win for us. I feel like he produced goals from nothing as well. And this was like that England squad... Um, it's quite. It's gone down in history. There's a really brilliant film called One Night in Turin, which I can fully recommend watching. And it's about um, England's journey into that World Cup. And they were managed by the um, the late great Sir Bobby Robson, who uh, at the time was being absolutely assaulted by the media, the mainstream media, who were like, "We're going to absolutely flop at this World Cup." Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Our fans are going to be horrible again. They're going to cause fights and there's going to be problems and it's going to be awful. And so Bobby Robson's an idiot and they would like, they were awful to him. And honestly, he he had a terrible time of it. And he took away this England squad and he took massive risks. Like he took um, Paul Gascoigne, Gaza, 
um, who was at the time really deemed to be like this kind of nobody, wasn't like a massive player for anybody. He's playing for Newcastle still and went on to be a Spurs legend. He, he went over to play for Lazio as well. But he was this young Gaza was just a, he was, he was crazy. He was known as being crazy, this young lad. And, um, and a young Gary Lineker as well. And, and they went to the 1990 World Cup kind of underdogs complete underdogs and um and we ended up famously getting knocked out by the hand of god from maradona i don't know if anybody remembers but mm. <laughs> he handled the ball into the net which knocked england out of the world cup at the semi-final and they came back and bobby robson quickly became sir bobby robson gary lineker is you know becoming the face of crisps in the uk <laughs> <laughs> it was he really did that tournament really did just highlight what a player Gary Lineker was and I think it was after that tournament he signed for Barcelona he was one of the first players to kind of go over and really kind of take on a European giant role as a striker and he continued his career in the same form and he really is he's underrated he should have won the Ballon d'Or but it was such it was a time of icons like you know, like people that I've just mentioned. Um, so yeah, Gary Lineker is our chosen striker. Wow. Yes. What a what a strong team. And as a broadcaster, still to this day, I'm sure he would promote the team just as strongly as his play on the field. Hundred percent. You both just wax poetic on English history, English English <laughs> everything. And the team feels strong. I feel excited about the team. Uh, I think they would give the U.S. team a run for their money and probably take them down if I had to put, put money on the game. Um, <laughs> but the English soccer history is obviously a bit richer, and so hopefully the U.S. one day can live up to some of those big names. That would be very exciting. Pulisic, it's coming for him. I tell you now. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. That man is making moves. Yeah, he, he, really, he really did take advantage of uh, the post-break games and uh, solidifying himself as a as a stalwart, I would say, on the team. He he was impressive for sure. Will soon be. He's just awaiting his chip deal, his crisp deal. <laughs> that's, it. that's the next. That's the next. That's step. the next step. Do the dip, like Gary Lineker, the chip, and he's the dip. He's like, try this guacamole. That was the worst American <laughs> accent ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for taking the time to chat with us about the Challenge Cup and. Everything else, including that England five-a-side team, we'll definitely have to see what people have to say there. And we're all excited, and everyone should get excited about the Women's Soccer Show, which you announced here. I'm sorry we didn't have any horns or excited things to... I guess we kind of did, but anything's meant for the uh, release. This is our first big announcement on the pod. Very exciting. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for having us. I have absolutely loved it. And we'll just take the, uh, the sirens in the background. We'll just take those as, as ours. Exactly. That's the fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Massive thanks to the gals at the NWSL show. Now, obviously, women's soccer show. Sounds like a lot more exciting content and interviews and hopefully connections to be made between our pods. Hopefully you learned something or thought about something a bit differently as we did. Thanks for making it to the end and listening to that great chat. We'll be back next week with more content more banter, and that Fantasy Premier League action that we talked about previously. So make sure to check out Instagram and get involved. Tell your friends. It's here. See you next week. Free IC. I love you. Take it easy, guys.
were you guys aware of the White Claw hype before it came over? Like, were you aware that it was a thing in the US for like the past two years? Yeah, and honestly, that's the only reason I paid £2.50 for a tiny can of it. <laughs> <laughs>